0: Lawrence, your latest book is called the known unknowns, uh, the unsolved mysteries of the cosmos. I mean, beautiful title. And I think it's perfect because this podcast represents one of those unsolved mysteries, the mind body problem, or what is consciousness. So I think let's yeah. start with, with that problem. I mean, do you think there is a mind body problem, Lawrence, or what is consciousness? Well, <laughs> I don't
1: know if there's a problem that, um, uh, there's a problem i think people make up a problem suggesting the mind and the body are somehow different which is clearly wrong since the mind is made up of parts of the body um and it's nothing more and nothing less but it's the most complicated thing you can imagine which is why i don't study it as a field (laughs) because it's too complicated physics is so much easier as i like to say um but what is consciousness is is a really good question it's a question i tried to address in the chapter as you know the last chapter of my book is about consciousness a subject that i studiously avoided in a sense because it's it's complicated and i was suspicious about many of the books that claimed that they were understood consciousness or explained consciousness or any of those things my friends of mine who relate those books to me all the time and um so i read I, but i you know i have a bunch of colleagues who are involved in this too so i talked to them and what I learned was, in fact, it's it's not only just as complicated as I thought, but more complicated, and we don't understand consciousness. And it's not even clear if consciousness is the right question mm. to understand. I recently had a discussion with Noam Chomsky, who basically said it might be a red herring in the sense of trying to understand the mechanisms behind what we call self-awareness. And it, 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 I mean, he thinks there may, in the end, just be some kind of mathematical representation, and we won't even ask the questions that... You know how does this arise but consciousness obviously we it's like it, it it's like uh pornography you know as that as that judge american judge said i know it when i see it <laughs> can't explain it but i know it when i see it and um uh it, you know we all understand our self-awareness but what is quite clear is that it's just the tip of an iceberg that what we're seeing this 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 narrative that each of us has with an idea of ourselves some person inside of our head is clearly at some level an illusion but that's right really, but saying it's an illusion is really irrelevant the whole world is an illusion in a sense this table is hard but it's an illusion in the sense that most of it's empty space but it's hard and you know time is some people as i say in my book some people the times an illusion well that may be true but it doesn't help you when you miss the train to get to work uh and And so the question is, how does that illusion rise? That's the real question about science and the why, or whatever, or or even definitions are secondary. How does does a a biological system with complex sensory apparatus and homeostatic regulation of its internal states um, and feedback uh, not only result in behavior, which all systems do, all living systems have behavior, but something that at least gives the people that gives a sense of self-awareness and the illusion of of uh of choice
0: mm. when I spoke anyway to- so
1: so the bottom line is that you know it's it's uh it, 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 it is I think it's telling that many of the researchers on consciousness don't bother to try and define it because yeah think, it's so hard
0: I think if they can't
1: I, I'm not sure I can
0: when I spoke to Noam Chomsky we we had a couple conversations about this and I remember him saying i mean we know what matter is we do or sorry we know what consciousness is we just don't know what matter is." What, what are your thoughts when he when he says something like that because that opens up the door to many different types of theories of consciousness and reality how would you define reality
1: oh my god <laughs> um reality is that which continues to exist even when you stop believing in it like that's a line from from a famous uh, science fiction writer that i really like mm. um and it's important I think it's really important it's it, you know I do think you know I I do think there's an objective reality mm-hmm. we we experience it in different ways but uh it exists independent of our own existence
2: mm-hmm.
1: and it's independent of what we like or don't like um of course it, it it's experienced in different ways and we can't no one and uh, can experience reality at all its levels as far as we know. Mm. Science doesn't explore reality at all its levels yet either which it's, it's contingent it, it 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 we don't have we our physical theories all apply to a certain domain of reality but not to all domains unless we have someday a theory of everything which which I'm not convinced we'll have then then all of our theories apply over a limited domain of applicability and they describe the world perfectly over that domain as far as we can tell and allow us to make predictions of with untold accuracy but they're not they're not complete descriptions of reality they're 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 partial descriptions and that's fine science accepts that in fact in physics we even have a well-described well-defined mathematical procedure for for um for for describing just how our our picture of reality changes with uh with with scale or time
2: Mm.
0: when when I spoke to norm he also mentioned the fact that, I mean, when people talk about the free will debate, uh, you mentioned choice when you answered the question of consciousness. Yeah. What are your thoughts on free will? He says, I mean, it's like you should have common sense. Nobody walks around the place assuming they don't have free will. So the, the fact of the matter is whether you're an illusionist about free will or not, you still are technically someone who believes in free will. Do you agree with that? Sid?
1: Well, I don't believe in anything. Uh, I don't think believe is a word that scientists should use. Things are likely or not likely we act as if we have free will and it and we might as well act as if we have free will mm-hmm. um it, we're we're hardwired to act as if we have free will i think by evolution and, and and i you know there is no it's a fundamental level i there's there's no such thing as free will but 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 um and that may affect and you know i just i just did a very long recorded a very long podcast with robert sapolsky about this there's yeah. new books coming out on that subject it's um ten- and that that may have um that may have uh um uh implications for will have implications for punishment and and stuff but i think we have to act as if we will take responsibility for our actions mm-hmm. and we try and think rationally and our rational thinking of course is subject to a history of uh, uh, our own history but we can we are we are partially rational beings and we can assess the situation and try and act rationally that itself um uh is determined but we can do that and 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 we might as well do that and so you know i, I think a whole i mean i th- i really like Sapolsky's book cause it's about neural processes a lot i think you know in his efforts over the years i think primarily to get to to overcome this notion of punishment when I first read, it, I thought, well, you know, I hate." I, I mean, it's a good book. Most books on free will, I just say, it's worth one sentence. The, there's no such thing as free will, but for all intents and purposes, we live in a world which is indistinguishable appears indistinguishable from free will. So you might as well act as if you have it. Yeah. But societally, we should recognize that it doesn't exist, and therefore, uh, when we when we when we try and deal with how to how to um, make society function optimally, then we have to. Take that into account especially in terms of punishment and jailing and criminality and that sort of thing
0: i I think it's very fascinating is particularly when we're talking about morality and how free will um, can impact morality and moral perspectives because another thing that seems to be very linked with morality is people's beliefs and religious beliefs and Mm -hmm. over the years i mean i've been following your work for so many years and at this point, uh, I consider myself someone who's read all your books, been part of this journey, and I know there was a time where, well, maybe not all the books, but uh, I think on my bookshelf there's you, <laughs> there's a whole section, and I don't really put them according to author, but I've got you Dawkins, Dennett, uh-huh. there's a whole bunch of atheist books all in one section. Yeah. You feel that over time, the New Age atheist movement that that once was quite quite big, has somehow changed or shifted in in a way, or
1: what do you think's happened to them? my books aren't atheist books my books are about science yeah
2: um
1: and and you know and and, and in a sense that's one of the same thing but it's 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 there it's to get people excited about the real world and asking questions about the real world mm-hmm. part of that is not you know is 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 overcoming false narratives and false beliefs in, in fairies and 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 other things um uh, yeah, there's a movement. I never like to be. I don't consider myself part of a movement, but <laughs> there is. And it, and like all movements, it's now like the. I mean, in many ways, it's just like in *Life of Brian*. Mm. Um, you know, it's it, you know, it splinters, and there's the People's Front for the libera- Judean Liberation Front, and there's the Judean, Judean People's Liberation Front, and and they all hate each other, and they are, and so that that happens to some extent, and. I I I really think you know that the problem is that people treat it religiously as if as if you know I mean atheism is just you know part it's just not believing things without evidence and so it's not it's not it's it's not something separate that you try and promote or promulgate except getting people to question things and and think freely mm. and rationally and um to the extent that um people try to to, to to make it more it's kind of uh, many people are atheists but have a great deal of sexual secular religiosity I mm. I, I I I was in a debate and at the Oxford Union online and the question was um is everyone religious or well, the proposition was everyone is religious
2: mm.
1: and I came I I chose to be on the side saying yes everyone's religious um and what I meant by that is if it, if, if people weren't religious we wouldn't need science Science trains us to overcome that natural position to want to believe, to think we're significant, all of those things. And what you see is that in, in often in, in in this secular movement, it's replaced by ideologies like you know social justice or woke, yes. fundamentalist wokeism, and and so you see that people want to believe and want to have ideas that can't be questioned, for which it's heretical to even have debate about all of the things that we should we've been fighting for. I, 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 fighting for that we've been promoting as with the age of enlightenment you know that i go out the window with these supposedly progressive groups mm. I, I think i agree I mean, with you know, sorry continue the no. right is i mean it's not so suggested the whole problem is the left because the right is just as desirous of suppressing free speech as the left appears to be mm. sometimes more
0: I agree with, because I remember when I was following it and I was reading your books. It came from a purely scientific background. It was me just reading these books, enjoying the science, and it just so happens that I am also an atheist who's enjoying the fact that you are, as well. It wasn't. Yeah,
1: well, I mean, the universe from nothing was, you know, Richard Dawkins wrote the forward for it, and and, and or the afterward, uh, uh, Christopher Hitchens was writing the forward when when he died, mm-hmm. but um, uh, you know, that's in some sense an atheist book because it, you know it, it tries. Darwin showed us that you know you don't need God for the to understand the diversity of life on Earth and 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 then instead sort of a, a, the next refuge of scoundrels religious scoundrels as well okay but you can't get a universe or nothing and so and, and Richard said that very kindly in the afterward more or less that it was a su- successor in that sense I don't think of it as a same level of, uh, in any way in any way as Darwin's work but it does try and address that slippery notion of okay, well, we now understand life, you don't need some supernatural shenanigans, but surely you need supernatural shenanigans for a universe. And the point is, you don't now that does that mean there weren't? Well, no, but you don't need them. So, mm. you know,
0: and tell me what inspired the unbelievers? Because I mean, that's such a cool concept for you guys to go on. It's almost like rock stars, just intellectual rock stars. Well,
1: That was that's what inspired it. I actually the, the director and and his brother, cinematographer two young men who I've worked with a number of times and I'm more, producing a new movie there and they're making they were fans they first met me after some big event and came up and fanboyed and um and later on they were making a movie and asked if I would be a, a do a cameo a fiction movie a science fiction movie called intersect came out seven years later and I did my, I did that but when we were filming I was so impressed with the quality of their production that I that I actually had them then film many of my events and origins events that we did and mm. and actually they helped me create the origins podcast initially but um but there one day it literally was one day I was about to do and you know, go a tour of Australia in a month or something and 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 Gus saw where I said you know I'd love to do a, a, a um Uh, a rock, uh, a rock and roll tour film about science. I mean, I forgot the way you put it, something like that, you know, where, you know, you've seen all these movies of of rock tours. Mm. And he he felt when he'd seen me, when that's what he thought, when he'd seen me or Richard, that it was like a rock concert. And he thought it'd be really fun to follow us around. And, uh, and I'm, you know, I I managed to reach out to some people and raise enough money to, it was amazing. Three weeks later, a film crew of five people were following us in Australia, and beginning to follow us around the world in various places. And it was a lot of fun. And it, I think it's a. I happen. I'm biased, but I think they did a great job. But the idea was more to sense the, sen- the sense of this community, of the response, the desire to respond to the message we're sending, which is to not follow us, but to think freely. And and the real and the and the impact is is great. Uh, I. I, I, it changed my whole perspective. You know, I used to fight against religious fundamentalism; I still do. But and secular religious fundamentalism. But but um, but what I realized, I got so many letters from people who said, "You know, this movie makes you realize I'm not alone." Mm. You know, I live in this small town in the south of the United States, and I ask questions, and and I realize if I bring up those questions, that people will think I'm a bad person. I have no one to talk to, and they think of themselves as bad people for saying, "Well, is there a God?" And so now, you know, the, the sense that they realize they're not bad people. And there's a lot of people who think like that. That's really been useful. So I think it, I really am glad that movie got made.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I, as a kid, well, I consider myself a kid from Cape Town, South Africa, someone who grew up here in South Africa and watching you guys. I mean, it's true. You, you look for this community. You look for people who co- sort of think alike. And, and it's, t- mm-hmm. it's sometimes tough to find. And then you see these people who write such eloquent books about this. And then you think, OK, this is exactly what I'm trying to say except you guys are saying it for us
1: well it's you know maybe I I mean yeah well I mean if that's useful that's good too I mean I I some of my books are right we're hoping that people will be able to utilize them to address conversations with other people Mm. and um and uh you know I hopefully it was also also an entertaining movie too that way but um it is amazing it's really amazing that People respond, you know, If you, I think the movie ends with the um, Reason Rally in, in Washington. You know, there were, I don't know how many thousand people, but there were lots of people. And it was like a, it was unbelievable. And these people, the reason they were so excited is that they really had not been in a environment where they felt that sense of community. And that's what religion does, by the way. It gives people a sense of community. I and mean, made people say, well, if you, you know, when you lose your faith, you lose a sense of community. Well, you don't lose anything when you lose your faith. You gain stuff. But many people have said, you know, we should have the sense of community. But what worries me is I don't want to replace churches with atheist churches. Mm. Okay. I I mean, atheism is, once again, it's just an attitude. And it's not a political belief. It's not an ideology. And it it can and should allow discussion with all, I mean, it should subsume uh, political beliefs and all the rest instead of implying certain things. Mm. And I will say that many people who... Decry intelligent design, no, almost you know, and 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 make fun of religious people who, who who speak about intelligent design. Equally, have never really seriously thought about evolution. Mm. So I mean, it's all right to use the bad words, and I'm fine that pe- I'd rather people accept at some level. Look, we can't be experts in everything, but when you look at something, you say, well, who might be most knowledgeable about human evolution? Maybe it's biologists. Okay, if they if they say this, well, I'm not going to study it exactly but I'm willing to assume that they are probably a good starting point Mm. because we don't have time to question and investigate everything that everyone says.
0: Yeah. No, I I completely agree. And there's, I mean, your book is called, I mean, the, the, I know in America, I think you had to change the title of uh, the known unknowns. It's called, it's thing, it's called the edge of knowledge, right?
1: Yeah, the edge of knowledge, it's called the edge of knowledge in the United States. Yes, and it's called the known unknowns in, in the UK and, how, how
0: do you places. feel about that because i know i've I've heard you speak about it well, how do you feel about the fact that you had to change that title? I mean, is that something that really I didn't ad-
1: have to I mean well I mean uh, you know my publisher in the u s thought that the known unknowns would be polarizing mm. because the quote comes from Donald Rumsfeld mm. Now I say this uh, my publisher is a is a is a conservative publisher, a conservative religious publisher in fact, mm. so it wasn't as if them liberal bias they just thought it would immediately um mm. Actually, I don't mind immediately well, I, I like provoking. I would prefer to provoke than polarize. So yeah. they said we'd prefer another title. And I came up. I mean, at the end of the book I use the idea of the edge of knowledge. And um and so uh it it um you know, I, I it, it's confusing because people think it's two books. Yeah. And maybe that's good, maybe people buy both, but but uh but um, I do like The Known Unknowns," which was the original title, but I do like The Edge of Knowledge. It captures what I'm trying to talk about as well. So I don't feel I had to compromise in that sense. I understood my publisher's point, and, mm. and the pub, you know, my editors and publishers come up with titles. Um, the authors usually have very little say.
0: Do, do you think that there are not enough scientific, well, scientists who have that poetic tact of, of approaching writing these books in a way that we can... Read it, or well, people who are not religious can read it in that almost religious sense, but not too much to, pour, to sort of become an, a religion.
1: Is there like a well? I don't know. I hope, I, I hope to inspire people to think, and and mm-hmm. and um, and I, you know, and and I obviously I, I know I have an impact. People write me, so it works at some level, and mm-hmm. I can't assess my own writing objectively, um, but people people seem <laughs> to like it yeah and uh, you know it's I do what I can do you know I have a friend well I have a lot of a very significant friend who tells me that all the time who's suffered a lot for what he's done but uh or what he hasn't done actually um and and so uh I I put out there what I what I what I write my books like I do for my science for myself all right I I I do it because I need to do it and I enjoy it and and I hope it has is useful but it's but but once I've written it, it's, it's beyond my control. When, I when try per- and think about, I, I will say, unlike many scientists perhaps, because I spent a lot of time with the public from the time I was young, I try and think what kind of discussions, what kind of explanations might resonate. Mm. But that's a property of just being a teacher, in my opinion. You you have to go to where your students are instead of assuming they're interested in what you have to say. Greg, up, did I you- I often tell teachers that's the biggest mistake they make.
0: Growing up, did you ever feel that did you ever expect to be someone who's so at the forefront of of, of the sort of scientific thinking and um, non religious beliefs? And, and I mean, you are almost you're considered one of those people you're considered anti theist by almost everybody who sort of yeah. knows you. <laughs> did you ever think this would happen?
1: Well, I, you know, no, yes, and no. But I mean, uh, what did I aspire to? I don't know. I mean, I, I admire the people. Some who do the kind of things I do now and and impacted my life the scientists writers who and people who searched and discovered things and so yeah I wanted to be like them but it wasn't I didn't have this trajectory this clear trajectory I mean I have my friend said Neil deGrasse Tyson had a clear trajectory exactly what he wanted to do and nothing got in the way yes. and I you know I just plant seeds so I yeah I like I I need to write at some level but I mean my son sci- I I I hoped I guess at some level when I when I was younger I hoped that I would be in the position I admired that of those that I admired who, who encouraged me to do what I do. And a number of times in my life, I found myself in that position and it's, it's kind of humbling and scary, but also satisfying if if you think about it correctly. Mm. And, and, uh, but once again, um, you, you know, I don't, I don't think I had that. I I do what I do and it, and, and where it ends up and how I end up, uh, is, is beyond my control. But, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure I wanted to. I'm sure I, I, I was. I liked the idea of being thought of as, in the same vein of some of the people who I admired when I was younger, and I won't mention names because that suggests I put myself in the same in the same vein, and I'm not going to suggest that. <laughs> you can Other people can. I don't <laughs> care.
0: I, I know someone who you really love is is Galileo, and the way he wrote his his writing style. I mean, is that is yeah, that? Let's, a make, a,
1: let's make one thing clear. Lawrence Krauss is no Galileo. <laughs> but anyway, go on. I do yeah. I do like, but you know, I do, I do, I, uh, I do like the fact that Galileo was not a, you know, invented modern science. The father, well, actually, his father was the father of modern science. But anyway, um, you and you read about how his father taught him what to do. He realized mm. why he grew up the way he was. But um, but he he uh, his books. You know, when we, you know, somehow teachers would never think of giving requiring students to read the two new sciences. But as I point out, they don't think twice about having students read James Joyce's Ulysses, and I think it's, the former is easier than the latter. And and funny. And so, I mean, he's he's sarcastic, he's witty. Mm. It's worth seeing. I, and I tell people, I, I like science writers, don't get me wrong, and, I, and science journalists do an important job. But I tell people if they're going to read books about science, they should read ones written by scientists because it gives you a flavor of the kind of thinking that scientists do, and it's kind of important. and and And, and I think that that's... The dialogue, the the the. Um, well, I'll call it the dialogue that that, yeah, that takes place and... in the dialogues. The uh, what's the word that Marx used to use for two competing. Ideas? Anyway, um, uh, oh, I used he... to think. That, but it's gone in my mind right now. Anyway, that um, that dialogue is a central part of science because science r- requires uh, people to 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 criticize them, to be willing that, to was
0: that? that almost dissociation that dissociative type of thinking where you can like
1: y- y- yeah what's the marxist term for that i, <laughs> I think I, I, I can't i can't anyway it. it starts with a d anyway I, my mind is gone i'm sorry mm. the,
0: I, I think that's that's pretty apparent in your in, in your writing as well i mean overall when when you're looking at you want to have that sort of wit that that ability to make the audience laugh and sort of think deeper about the topic and you but most most of all, you want that sort of deep, awe-inspiring feel of of what most religious texts do, but from your own non-believing sort of perspective.
1: Well, I mean, look, by the way, I mean, I think humor is a central part. Well, humor is a central part of my life because it helps me get through the day. And I think, you know, it, when it, if you're writing about science, people are intimidated. Mm. And so one has to think about ways to try and reduce that intimidation. And sometimes connecting to culture like the physics of Star Trek is it, you know one of my books is one way but another way i think is humor because it it brings down those barriers you know and um and uh and so um i i think that that's essential well i i write the way i speak or think at least anyway and i think humor keeps humor keeps me interested enough to write yeah. much less read so i guess that's that's another whole anyway.
0: Tomorrow I have an interview planned with um, Avi Loeb, and and, and oh, I'm yeah. curious, <laughs> I'm curious to know because when I put out the fact that I'm chatting to you and I asked for questions, people went berserk regarding UFOs. They were like, "Do not ask Lawrence about anything regarding UAPs," because they really seem to not like your responses. So I'm curious to know what's your oh, take on it now.
1: Oh, I'm glad they don't like my responses. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm glad about that. But, coming from those, look, who I wrote a whole book. Defend- One of my books, Beyond Star Trek, so demonstrates you know I am having a dialogue in New York City on December 1st I I for a long 25 30 years ago I used to debate these UFOologists and then I got tired of it because because they were making a living uh, huckstering this stuff mm. but um look it's just it, the the best line is comes from that of Richard Feynman who said uh, they when it comes to sort of UFO and aliens he thinks UFOs are much more likely due to the known irrationality of humans, rather than the unknown mm. rationality of aliens. Mm. The bottom line is when you think of the laws of physics, the least likely, it's so weird when people see something up in the sky, they don't understand, it's immediately aliens and, and and flying saucers. It used to be fairies and as Carl Sagan pointed out in the, you know, 200 years ago, but the least likely possibility of every possibility that could happen, the least likely, is that it's aliens coming to visit us? Because the laws of physics make it so implausible, as to be less likely than anything—less likely than the, you know, certainly less likely than the magic bullet that killed John Kennedy, or, or, or you know, went through three people and bounced back. Anything you could think of, no matter how wild, is more likely. And then, moreover, there's not a single piece of evidence—evidence evidence in a real sense, you know, eyewitness testimony not being that—and and 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 photographs we we all know, are 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 suspicious. Well, you have to be skeptical. Mm-hmm. And the bottom line is, this notion of a conspiracy, is so ridiculous. Anyone who knows anything about the government knows. Look, the money you would make, if you could just come up and say, here, look, here's this alien body I have that we stored, you know, and here here's uh, and you know, come investigate it, you know, and or here's here's a here's a tricorder from, you know, the 23rd century. Um, the government, governments can't keep secrets. <laughs> and, and especially when there's a lot of money involved. And, and, and so the, the ridiculousness of assuming that there's a vast network of, of secrecy that's somehow effectively hiding something where every single person involved has a huge uh, personal interest in violating that secrecy. Mm. I mean, it's more implausible than the UFOs themselves. Mm.
0: (laughs) That is pretty true. Um, When I spoke to Michael Shermer, he said, "I mean, the null hypothesis is true until proven otherwise." I mean, you can't. I mean, he wants extraordinary evidence to back an extraordinary claim.
1: Well, it's an extraordinary claim. You certainly need extraordinary evidence. You know, I null hypothesis. You know, I it's all too high. Sounds too philosophical for me. (laughs) Bottom line is that that um, that you need evidence to to accept to begin to accept something especially in in principle you should be suspicious of and and skeptical of everything that people say now obviously in real life you can't be but when scientists that's that's the uh that's the way it works okay um uh and and uh and um and so yeah so if it is something weird and wild and like whether it's a scientific paper or aliens I generally assume it's wrong unless someone convinces me otherwise and even then it might still be wrong
2: Mm.
0: a lot lot of people think you have beef with philosophers and uh, i know you really don't but there's just a a part of science that i think you really (laughs) prefer over philosophy
1: well i prefer science because you know i prefer science but i mean philosophy uh, um uh, and and dialectic—that's the word I was thinking about. My whole mind is gone. Marxist dialectic. <laughs> that's that's. The, I, yeah, I'm sorry. My mind—I was just half of my mind was thinking about something else, trying to get it. That's what science is based on. But you know, look, science. Philosophical questions are part of science. Mm. They, they're a starting point. Asking critical questions, and then science takes off from that by experimentation and testing and all the rest. So, so it's we're all doing philosophy. It's just when people get hung up on the philosophical questions themselves, rather than, that, the, if they're divorced from science, then I, I have little patience. Mm. Uh, um, but, but I respect the, the need to do critical analyses, especially in new fields. Um, uh, but I also recognize that reason is a slave of passion. And I, I often recognize, I talked about it with, with Robert Sapolsky and some of my atheist colleagues who are also philosophers, say ridiculous things about free will because you can convince yourself of anything if you want to rationalize it, I think. The great thing about nature, the reason I like science is that it's not talk, it's not rationalization, it's not just purely rational analysis. I mean, mathematics is in a, in a well-defined sense and the best parts of philosophy in my mind are mathematical one, philosophy, mm. logic. but. But nature tells you when you're wrong. That's what's wonderful. And we it's so easy for us to go down the wrong road, even with our kind of rational thinking, that we constantly have to keep our turning to nature to tell us if we're on the wrong path. And usually we are.
0: I've been, I've been generally... been, you know, so
1: so it, it's the pompousness. It's the pompousness of, uh, it's a hype itself with anything. But when people say, well, you can't, when some philosophers are saying, well, you really can't you know, do quantum mechanics or even try and understand unless you are read the philosophical literature. That's nonsense, because mm. no physicists who do it, oh, for, for the first approximation, read the philosophical literature. That doesn't mean the philosophical literature isn't interesting important for philosophers, but it doesn't impact on physicists, mm. most of whom, as I've said in the past, can't spell philosophy.
0: <laughs> someone, someone commented saying, science without philosophy is religion. What do you think about that?
1: Well, I don't know what you mean by science without philosophy. So it's a nice sentence, but what do you mean? <laughs> philosophy is critical analysis. Critical questioning and ra- followed by rational uh, analysis, and that's a part of science. So that's why science was called natural philosophy. Mm. So science without philosophy isn't science in a sense. It's just that science is more than what you define. as certainly professional philosophy. Mm. Okay, I think I th- and, uh, and the key aspect of that is experiments. I think, and, and that, that, that taking our taking our our uh, our direction from experiments rather than from purely rational, critical questioning and analysis.
0: I think another way to think about it is also like philosophy without science. I I look back and I think, I mean, I love philosophy, but I think of someone like Daniel Dennett and in a time where many philosophers really disregarded science. And when he came out with a lot of his work, it was really apparent that they were completely ignoring scientific data.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's one of the things I've enjoyed about Dan Dennett, although he also tends to do that lately. But uh, because he can, he's a philosopher, but um, but yeah, the philosophers that I admire most are the ones who keep, who are, remain in, in great touch with what's going on in, with the science. And mm-hmm. the bottom line is, and I said in the book, I mean, I think the one area where, you know, physics began with philosophy, but it's gone way past it. The questions of interest to physicists are not the questions of interest in philosophers, period, for the most part. I mean, we are, you know, what's the nature of reality and you know what is time? These come maybe, but but I mean, the, but 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 they're not what drive physicists. They're not they're not the not the questions that's framed by philosophers. Those aren't what drive physicists. But in the newest area of science, that's where you need philosophy to frame the questions, and that's why consciousness is the area where philosophers are contributing as much, mm. in many ways, as neuroscientists and psychologists and neurobiologists, because the questions themselves are are not well defined yet and and not well framed and so you have people like Dennett and other people and and Patricia Churchland and other you know philosophers and and well Chomsky's both I'd say but philosophers who who uh who are deeply involved in asking questions about the mind because we don't even know what the freaking heck the mind is
0: I mean so you I think there's clearly a problem because. A lot of people nowadays use quantum mechanics and physics to defend theories of mind that, that go beyond Europe. Yeah,
1: well, none of them understand what quantum mechanics is, when <laughs> they're using them. That's the problem. With that being said, I mean, I different. talked to Sapolsky about it. He talked to someone else, a colleague of mine, who I don't particularly, anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, uh, and you know, he was trying hard, but I think he didn't understand. And he, he's the first person to say he doesn't understand the quantum mechanics, but people mm. use it because it looks like it somehow changes the world. The deterministic world, it doesn't. But I mean, it changes what we mean by measurement. But you know, look, a lot. Of, no one, as Feynman said, no one understands quantum mechanics. That's why. But 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 many people who use it, I'd say, quantum mechanics is the most abused part of science. I when I many years ago, I was part of the panel on public affairs of the American Physical Society, and I tried to get them to come out with a statement about the abuse of quantum mechanics. Mm. people with the secret and all this nonsense that if you think about the world you can change it you know you think about the world you can change it but only if you do something Mm. Uh, just thinking it's not going to change anything and um and i tried to get the right statement but in the end they wouldn't because they're timid and and now it's kind of useless organization
0: Mm. anyway do you think that people's mis uh, misinterpretation of quantum mechanics stems from our lack of truly understanding what reality is
1: well, look the, our lack of understanding of quantum mechanics is that we don't experience the quantum world mm. you know general relativity and special relativity are easy because we i mean they're generalizations of things we can picture like curved surfaces and that they're harder and and you know four dimensional space is not something can picture but we can understand the classical an- analogs pretty well um, and even you know special relativity as well i mean the kind of thought the geduncan experiments mm-hmm. of einstein but the world is quantum mechanical at a fundamental level, but it's not the world we experience. Mm. So we can never have this really, truly intuitive understanding of it at a full level. You know, we build, those of us who work with it build up that, and the experimentalists build that. We can test our ideas and we build up an understanding, but, but not a complete one, not, a, um, not an intuitive one, which is why Feynman said that about quantum mechanics and why he was interested in quantum computing because mm-hmm. he said it would maybe help him understand quantum mechanics, because a quantum computer thinks, it doesn't think, but it, it, it uses quantum mechanics directly to calculate things, whereas physicists use sort of classical kludges to kind of calculate quantum mechanical processes. Quantum mechanical processes involve a huge number of things going on at the same time, interfering in a way that, that results in something, But but classically, we have to we have to, in order to do that, we have to we have to calculate all of those things that are going on and see what interferes. And computationally it's difficult and that's why quantum computers may affect, may allow us to do quantum mechanical calculations we could never do otherwise. So he, he was interested in quantum computers, not because he wanted to crack codes of banks or other things that people think quantum computers might one day do, although they won't. Um, it, he was more interested in using it as a tool to understand quantum mechanics and to solve quantum mechanical problems that he couldn't solve.
0: on on that note do you think at some point we can create sort of artificial and conscious artificial consciousness from from computers and quantum computers in the future
1: who knows i see no obstacle to it Mm. i mean there's nothing it's nothing is you know we're a physical system and we work and, and 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 we apparently have a consciousness and so what i see no obstacle to i don't know whether neural nets or or quantum computers are, are, are the right direction but i see no obstacle to to ultimately. i mean there are lots of challenges the amount of you know, years ago i calculated that the amount of uh, power needed to you know do anything like processing in your brain was like 10 terawatts if you used an electronic computer and we use 10 watts or 20 watts so you're talking a, a million million times different there it's clearly some difference in now that's been come down by a factor of thousand or a hundred thousand or a million, but it's still a big difference. So we, we have to learn how the brain does what it does. And that, you know, and maybe we'll find a better way to do it. So maybe, you know, maybe, I don't think it's either artificial or intelligent right now, but maybe, maybe we'll develop machines that can do, do it more effectively than we can because we our consciousness arose out of evolution, which, and it, and it's clear that, that, that the, it's probably clear that the challenge that that resulted in a conscious, self-aware brain probably wasn't, you know, resulted from other needs of organisms, and and not not to be able to solve quantum mechanics problems for sure. And so it's come about by evolution, and evolution is great, but there may be more efficient ways to produce it otherwise.
0: Mm. A, a quote from Marvin Minsky comes to mind when he, I mean, he once says that um, the trick of creating artificial intelligence that can ask the question, am I conscious now? It's, it's a problem because humans really ask that question. We're most of the time on autopilot, we barely know what's happening.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, and, you know, and it, it's, that's the, you know, there's this big touring questions that you wonder. But, but, you know, one thing is, is coming up. You know, GPT can do a great job of answering questions and mimicking things, but it's asking the questions mm. that really is the sign of, I think, intelligence. And of course, then it's understanding what you mean when you ask the questions, which it's not clear whether it's that the machine would do. But there ultimately may be no way to tell the difference between that and what people do. Many people probably don't understand the meaning of questions they ask anyway. Mm. But uh, But it's asking the questions and not answering them. That's a sign of intelligence which is why i think we have to change where we teach in schools I and mean, instead of compiling facts as if it's an evidence of intelligence it's teaching people how to ask questions and and that's the voyage of discovery at
0: this point in your life what questions are you asking most and what what's really getting under your skin
1: nowadays <laughs> well lots of things are getting under my skin that's why i write most often the, the you know what's happening in society especially the Part of society that, that the, the political part of society that I thought I I related most to mm. is secular ideology that the, the, the uh, free speech going out the window heresy uh, unquestionable assumptions, all of that drives me nuts because that's an anathema to my whole being as a scientist. Um, you know, but there are tons of scientific questions that get under my skin they've gotten under my skin for a long time and then that dark energy which I proposed 30 years ago is still on we don't understand it and what you know and and is there more than one universe and um how how can we discover the nature of dark matter those are questions scientific questions i i i um, ask myself and and you know different things get under my skin and then i usually write about it whether or not i produce a something it gets published it just sort of gets it off my chest uh,
0: in terms of string theory and, and multiverses in general i mean what well, have your thoughts changed over
1: time what where is your views at it i hope so if they didn't change over time <laughs> it'd be awful um well look i um no i mean some fundamental things haven't mm. string theory still has not demonstrated it's a theory of the world in which we live mm. it's produced a lot more than i would have thought it might mathematically and useful in other physical problems but it's certainly never done what it claimed it would it would do but uh, but it's morphed into something much more f- complex that led to kind of interesting questions holography and duality but um mm. but yeah no i'm I'm imposed to hype and you know that's why i imposed the hype about consciousness books i was supposed to hype of string theory is a theory of everything because you know as, as a nobel prize winning colleague of mine once said string theory is promising. And it's promising and promising and keeps promising. But <laughs> but, but it hasn't delivered yet.
0: Lawrence, you know? if you had, if you had to be close, I mean, I know you, you're tight on time, if you had to give me like your brief summary of our universe verse in a nutshell, and our attempts at a theory Thank of you. everything, how would you give the story to someone?
1: <laughs> I think Stephen Hawking wrote a universe in a nutshell, you could read let, but his book would wouldn't be clear. Um Look, um, we, we have a universe that's, that's describable right now, as far as we can tell, at all scales by four forces. No evidence yet for any other, force. and it's amazing. Four simple forces, all of which have the same mathematical um, uh, mathematical basis and called gauge theories. Mm. And those four forces uh, are, we think are probably tied together, but we don't know how. We know two of them get tied together, the weak and electromagnetic force. And many of us think that they're probably are at a fundamental level, may be tied together. But what we do know is that two of the fundamental pillars of our modern understanding of the world, one is general relativity, which is theory of space and time, and the other, which is quantum mechanics, which underlies the, the, the microscopic behavior of the other forces in nature. Those two things are inconsistent, apparently, as far as we can tell, and something has to give. And the big question is what? Those, and the big question is not such a big question, that's the other thing. The theory of everything is not a theory of very much. It's actually a theory of very little, in the sense that a, a reconciliation of quantum mechanics and gravity mm-hmm. would be important in two areas, the beginning of the universe and the ultimate nature of black holes. Mm-hmm. But you don't need it for any of the other things you need it to describe the universe. And so they're fundamentally of interest, those of us who are interested in how the universe began and whether it could be more, in one, more than one universe and what happens inside a black hole. Those are fascinating questions, and people are fascinated by them. But we but but. That's what we need a theory of quantum gravity for. Mm. And it will change our perspective of the world. It might tell us there are more than four dimensions. And so it'll change that picture, but it won't change how you calculate a ball sliding down a plane or the or the orbits of planets or how oatmeal boils.
0: Uh, um, Lawrence, in, in any final words for the podcast listeners? I mean final first words. of all, sorry, before you before you say that. Um, the origins podcast what what inspired this and what is the goal moving forward with the origins
1: podcast i'm glad there's i'm glad you asked that um well what inspired it was look i've tried for my whole life to point out that science and culture are closely tied together and and that the ideas of science and and that science and culture are tied together by all wanting to give us a, a new perspective of our place in the cosmos but they also deal with the important questions facing the 21st century and so what I've tried with the Origins podcast is to bring together science and culture in ways to talk about those issues that are important for all of us as we assess and try and stumble our way through the 21st century and excite people and, and at the same time excite people and inspire them to look and ask questions about the universe and appreciate the amazing universe in which we live. So I the the podcast and the fortunate fact that my Rolodex has been relatively broad and 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 so I can bring a lot of interesting people from a lot of different areas including the you know the most well-known scientists but other people directors actors writers and so but there, it's there's a common theme which is to bring people closer to them to have a discussion
2: mm.
1: and a dialogue not an interview as people hate when they when they hate the fact that I express my views <laughs> in, in, in the and and but it's a dialogue between two people. interested in, It's like a living room conversation, mm. and not a um, and not an interview. And I don't apologize for that I've tried more more. You know, one learns. So I tried to more carefully um, not interrupt when when it's not necessary. Which is, in, you know, in a scientific debate, it's lots of interruptions back and forth because you know you don't want to wait for the whole thing to get done. You want to move on, but. Um, but anyway so yeah it's been it's been an amazing experience it's exhausting for me because and, and maybe it's exhausting for you but i i do my homework a lot like some people i guess so you know when i'm reading when i'm doing in, having a dialogue i try and understand what people have done so that means refreshing myself by reading six or seven of chomsky's last books in exhibition, reading uh, this mammoth tome on free free will which i wouldn't have read otherwise except it's fascinating for, for Sapolsky. Mm-hmm. So I, I, it requires a lot of reading and preparation, and, and I find that exhausting. But on the other hand, it's energizing because I wouldn't read it otherwise. Same reason I, and when I write, there's a lot of things I wouldn't understand or attempt to understand the level that I do unless I write about them. Who have been some of and your so favorite so guests? On once again, podcast. it's all for me. It's me, me, me. Yes, sir, go on.
0: Who have been some of the, your favorite guests on the podcast so far and why?
1: Oh, I don't think in terms of favorites. Everyone has to think what's your favorite of this then. I mean, there have been fun, really fun ones that surprised me. My one of the earliest ones with Ricky Gervais was oh, nice. uh, fascinating because people didn't realize he asked, you know, he's interested in science and asked great questions. And of course, Stephen Fry is lovely to listen to. I could just listen to him talk. I could read that, read the phone book, be fine. Yeah. But and Noam, my, my many dialogues with Noam. But, um, I like dialogues with people who also come from a different set of political perspective as I and 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 who you know can teach me things. Also, it, dialogues on areas. Like Sapolsky's, he's not; he's politically on my side, but but I, I learned a lot of neurobiology. So, but um, but you know, Douglas Murray, who's certain certainly, um, and 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 even um, Jordan Peterson, you know, who, with whom you know was it, we did one in his podcast and one of mine, and it was interesting. I think it was interesting. I dis, I I disagree with a lot of what he says, but the fact that we can have a dialogue about about key things were. And ask each other questions i think was really useful
0: was was jordan able to define god for you
1: uh no but i, I don't he has a tr- when you I, I try not to put him on the spot because if you ask Jordan to define anything <laughs> you will end up in an, in an invariably long ramble and sometimes we caught i caught him and you know the neat thing about jordan though is sometimes when he rambles and you point out the logical contradiction or that it's going number he'll say you're right you know he realizes it. it doesn't stop him from doing it but i appreciate that Mm. that often he'll say oh, okay he'll express a viewpoint and say well that's inconsistent because of XYZ. z oh i guess it is so i think you gotta give him credit for that mm. um the- even, though, even though anyway sorry what? Are, there
0: any, are there any guests that are forthcoming that you're really excited about
1: i'm excited about all my guests it's like my and seriously it's like people asking what book what's your favorite your most exciting book well it's the one i just wrote because i'm excited about it but but you know i love the. I the podcast with sapolsky mm. i had a great ones coming up with uh peter singer mm. philosopher yes um who's in fact who's who's impacted on my own life in many ways i'm a vegetarian now and not not, not in small part because of uh, peter singer um and um uh i i have a a, a a fascinating experience with scott aronson who's a computer scientist talking about AI and and computer computational complexity and that sort of thing um and so um then I've got you know uh, I've got some hopes I was there's some people I thought we'd be we'd be doing it may not I was hoping it, it looked like I was going to have a podcast with Garrison Keillor who you may not know if you're not American and was wonderful but um but like most things like the books I write or the or the scientific work I do the most exciting stuff is the stuff I don't know is going to happen yet. Mm. So uh, I can tell you that you know, as I say, Sapolsky, uh, um, Singer, uh, Aronson are ones that I'm excited about that are coming up, um, and uh, um, as well as a, a, another dialogue I did with uh, with uh, Richard Dawkins. Mm. But um,
0: I think I, but I have to ask you about Dawkins is um, because I mean you guys have done so much work together. What, what's it like going around the world with this guy and and really? expressing your, your thoughts and intuitions about the universe together. I mean, completely different fields coming together. I mean, you think of physics and biology. What's that like?
1: Well, well I like to think, well, I always respected Richard, but I like to think his respect for me has increased over time. Um, <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's, it's new insights. I mean, it's sharing a worldview, mm-hmm. but we're very different people. And it's off, it's, for me, it's fun to watch sometimes to watch Richard's being very different than me. And I think it's a nice thing for people to see that difference in personality and character, as well as feels. Mm-hmm. But we obviously complement each other, I think. And each time, what's fun is, is the, and we challenge, we just did something in, in Birmingham last week, the first time Richard ever interviewed me officially um, for his podcast. Um, to do new things to come up with new things to not make it the same discussion and what i'm and what richard's always been surprised about and i haven't been as surprised is at the end of he goes wow that was neat that was maybe the best is that we can talk about new things there's a lot to talk about Mm. and i enjoy um i i enjoy and i'm honored by the the camaraderie that we have
0: do you ever get afraid of falling into that trap that where people often praise richard of being this amazing evolutionary biologist, but really dislike the fact that he's gone down the atheist route. Do you ever feel writing about it, at least that you might get falling Well,
1: when I first when I first attacked when I first interacted with Richard, it was that rad basically said, look, um, you know, why are you doing this? Because you know, you're just alienating people. And in (laughs) some sense, and and, and we had that in the unbelievers. I think it almost begins the question, the question, you know, are you trying to What's your What's your goal? You're trying to get people to stop believing in God or or understand the universe, and 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 Richard was fell more on the side of wanting to get people to stop believing God because because he views it as a, as I do often an impediment to that. Mm-hmm. Whereas my interest is really just getting people excited about the real universe without all the nonsense. So we come at it slightly differently, mm-hmm. but I think it takes a thousand points of light, and I think Richard inspires people with his approach that I don't. And maybe I inspire some people with my approach that Richard doesn't. So it takes all types.
0: Uh, I mean, Lawrence, it's, it's such a pleasure to chat to you. Any final words from your side, anything you want to be left unsaid? And by the way, do you have a question for Avi Loeb tomorrow? <laughs> no,
1: no, no, I know Avi. I know Avi. Um, um, no, I have no questions for Avi Loeb. I don't think there's anything right now worth questioning. <laughs> um, at least with the stuff he's going to talk about, yeah. maybe other stuff. All this alien stuff, it's yeah, much ado about nothing. Mm. Um, uh, much ado about very little, but you know, it's been good for him, so good. Um, uh, Are you concerned um,
0: at all about this, this, this rise in, in UAP talk.
1: What was that? Are
0: you concerned at all about this rise in UAP talk as of late?
1: Uh, that's you know, it's been a bear before, it'll be here again, you know. I mean, um the only concern I have is it is it because it's amplified by the nonsense of the internet Mm. there used to at least be a few people and shouting and other people believing maybe but now there's this you know vocal and 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 really kind of aggressive claims and and unfortunately then institutions you know respond like you know the government says saying well you know when the when NASA came out with their with their uh analyses saying there's no evidence but then but you know which is great um but they still kind of kowtow a little bit too much just saying you know well you know we're investigating all the stuff that's been done and well it's true but the idea they're trying to virtue signal in their own way yeah so i you know i would i don't like virtue signaling I, i've come to hate it um yes uh and uh i didn't even know what it was till Ian McEwen used the word once for me i didn't never heard it yeah. It's but, almost um,
0: like a government has to respond. I mean, if they, if they do something about it. Of it...
1: course they have to respond. They have to placate people at mm. some level. You can't just say, you know, but, um, but they did respond. NASA did respond. And I think, and you know, it doesn't need to say anything else, but yeah, I guess the only thing is the viciousness and aggressiveness, but other than that, there'll always be nonsense. there will always be, it's all cause everyone, we all are Fox Mulder. We all want to believe, and it's science that helps us get around the fact that we want to believe, and sometimes science tells us we, you know, we know we want to believe, but sorry, it's not there. Mm. And so, first recognizing we want to believe is an important thing. And um, and I and I don't like to play into that goal, but on the other hand, I do in the sense that you know I'm trying to play into people's. One of the greatest ways to learn in science is to confront your own misconceptions. So bringing out those misconceptions in an exciting way allows you to try and confront them. And you know, even the physics, Star Trek, and things like that. Was confronting people's misconceptions.
0: I'm not sure if I've ever heard you uh, talk about this, but outside of physics, what is your favorite scientific field? Outside, was,
1: outside of physics, my what? Outside favorite. of physics, what? Your my, favorite field favorite. within
0: science, except for physics.
1: I don't have favorites. I told you that's apples and oranges. I don't think in favorites. Obviously, consci- neuroscience is a fascinating area, but so is genetics. Mm. And I wish, I wish I knew more about. I've tried. I've learned a lot in my time, but you know, when I was going to school. And my mother wanted me to be a doctor, desperately. Yeah. I dropped biology because when I was going to school in the 19... It, that would have been their early 60s, maybe. Um, biology was dissecting frogs and stuff. It wasn't interesting. I mean, DNA... The genetic code really hadn't... Had just been discovered, but it hadn't filtered its way down, at least in my experience, into, into high school. And it's now such a fascinating area that I wish I... Um, Well, I like to learn more about it. No, but I'm fascinated by it all. I don't think I have a everything about the universe fascinates me. And as I like to say, every day I wake up and I'm surprised if I'm not surprised.
0: (laughs) I like that. How how could the average listener of this podcast be a true scientist?
1: Well, everyone is just uh, channel your inner child. You know, um, ask questions. Be willing to change your mind when you're wrong. Test your ideas. And uh, have fun. Ask questions that excite you, and try and under and try and explore. Try and boldly go where no one has gone before.
0: I, I, I often hate when someone asks me this, but when is the last time you changed your mind, Lawrence?
1: <laughs> well, I changed my mind earlier. I wasn't gonna. I, I thought I was too busy to do this. <laughs> and, uh, and, there you go. And, uh,
0: and i appreciate that so much i mean it's been no, an i i like place. to think i changed my
1: mind I, I do i the older i get the, i think the more i realize that well it's easy to feel you know everything when you're younger
0: i feel from watching but, people I, I feel from listening you know, to- i changed
1: i actually just gave a lecture in in england about changing minds about three examples of the way the scientific community changed minds. one involved me i mean i you know when we first proposed the empty space and energy it was you know it was a crazy idea i thought it was crazy before it appeared to be true size so and then it is apparently and it's it's crazy so i've changed my mind and i've helped in that sense change other people's mind not as much as the observers who mm-hmm. then went and won a Nobel prize for for what they did but but um, um anyway it's uh i hope I change my mind again and i and and in fact i will be happy to have another conversation with you that's another Maybe change in my mind.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I'm so grateful for that. I mean, it's it's been yeah. such a pleasure and a privilege, and I, I look forward to your work throughout the future. And I mean, thanks. good luck. The podcast is absolutely amazing. I'm uh, I'm a fan of all the guests and yourself, and I appreciate all your work throughout oh, the. Well,
1: thank you. Well, this was lovely. I really enjoyed it. I really did. And keep up the good work yourself. And yeah, and uh, yeah. I'm sorry, I have to rush off because of my travels. But no, but we'll no problem at all.
0: Thank you so much okay. Lawrence. Take care right Have take a great care. Have a great flight, eh?
1: Thanks okay. take care yes. bye bye